This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. You're listening to Facing Evil, a production of iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show and do not represent those of iHeartRadio or Tenderfoot TV. This podcast contains subject matter which may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Facing Evil from Tenderfoot TV and iHeartRadio. We are your host. I'm Yvette Gentile. And I'm Rasha Picarero. And with us always is the amazing, the handsome, the talented Trevor Young. Hello. That sounds like you were his agent. <laughs> I know. I, I'm telling you, I'm the best cheerleader ever. <laughs> Trevor is the best, and I want everyone to know it. That he is. I second that. I appreciate it. All right. So... <laughs> I have to point out the elephant in the room. I sound a little bit like a phone sex operator right now because what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I have a very sexy voice and raspy voice right now because I have a sinus infection, not COVID, and I did all kinds of things to be ready for you all today for facing evil so that I didn't sound like a phone sex operator, but I still feel like I sound like a phone sex operator. <laughs> So do I always sound like a phone sex operator? <laughs> because I, mean, I, have, <laughs> I have a raspy voice pretty much all the time. So what are you saying, Raj? <laughs> it, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay. I just wanted to tell everyone I sound a little different today. <laughs> Trevor, why don't you go ahead and take us through today's case? As six members of Lacey's family took turns yelling at Scott, he showed no emotion aside from once shaking his head no. Did you murder your wife? No, no, I just not. Our family's going to make it. We're stronger because of this. And Scott got what he deserved. We've said all along that Scott Peterson did not get a fair trial. Nearly two decades after being convicted of murdering his wife and unborn child, Scott Peterson participated in a hearing Wednesday. Currently serving life in prison, Peterson said little. Lacey Peterson was a 27-year-old woman from Modesto, California, who went missing on Christmas Eve of 2002. Many suspected that her husband, Scott Peterson, was responsible for her disappearance. The story became a national news sensation as Scott tried desperately to make a case for his innocence. But then, a few months later, Lacey's body was found in the San Francisco Bay, and Scott Peterson was arrested. 
The trial was highly publicized, as the entire country held its breath to see whether or not Scott would be found guilty. The case was especially contentious for a few reasons. One, Lacey had been pregnant when she was killed. Two, Scott was in a secret relationship with another woman at the time of Lacey's disappearance. And three, there had been no hard evidence against Scott, only circumstantial evidence. But despite all of that, Scott was convicted of first-degree murder and then sentenced to death in 2005. And so, could Scott have really killed Lacey Peterson? What were Scott Peterson's true intentions? And why did so many people, despite having no hard evidence, believe that Scott was guilty? You know what, this is, I mean, this is such an important case and I'm, I can't even tell you how eager I am that we're finally talking about it. I remember how crazy, I mean, how berserk all the news coverage was on this story. I mean, this case really took us all on a unbelievable wild ride. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, it, it captured the nation for years and years. I mean, this happened almost 20, well, yeah, it's 20 years ago now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but for me, it was about a few things. So one, obviously, um, we all wanted to see and make sure that that Lacey got some sort of justice. It was horrific what happened to her. Um, and of course, to her unborn son, Connor. But um, at the time, I... I I wasn't quite sure how I felt about Scott. I mean, obviously, we're, we're going to get into it and talk about all the different factors and media and all that. But yes, we know Scott was a douche. But did he kill his wife and unborn child? That is the question, right? But in all honesty, I was kind of iffy for a while as well, you know. But I think that both of our minds were changed, right? When, mm -hmm. like, the media just like took over, right? And they kept showing all these things. So oh, yeah. I think that we were all certain back then that he was guilty. 20 years ago. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But 20 it's years a little ago. different now. Yeah. Yeah. But now, like you said, like it's been a long time. So I really feel like we can look at it with fresh minds, a different perspective, right? And mm -hmm. see if it's actually true or not. I don't know. I don't know, you guys. <laughs> All right. Well, well, let's get into it. So as usual, we want to talk about the people involved. And first up is Lacey Peterson. So Trevor, what do we know about her? Yeah. So about Lacey. She was born Lacey Denise Rocha on May 4th, 1975 in Modesto, California. And her family always said that she was incredibly bright and that she especially loved to work in the garden with plants and that would actually become a lifelong obsession for her. <laughs> and then after graduating from Downey High School in 93, Lacey went to college at Cal Poly Tech, which is in San Luis Obispo, California. And that is where she met Scott Peterson in 1994. He was working at a restaurant there in San Luis Obispo that Lacey and her friends went to all the time together. And I guess he was probably a waiter there or something. And he was serving Lacey and they were drawn to each other immediately. One of them asked for the other's number and they seemingly fell in love that quick. I thought it was so sweet that Lacey would call her mom and she would like gush about like how fantastic, you know, mm -hmm. this guy Scott was. 
and how in love they were. But to me, it, it, you know, it really seemed like this was the, the perfect beginning of what you would think would be a perfect love story. First of all, there's no such thing as perfect. <laughs> this we know, but needless to say, um, after dating for only a short while, um, Scott and Lacey moved in together. And in 1997, after being together for only two years, they got married and moved back to Lacey's hometown of Modesto. For the record, I think getting married any earlier than like, I don't know, four or five years is always risky. <laughs> well, then but you don't know. That's just my opinion. But, but Trevor, you're friends with many lesbians, myself included, and we get married real, real fast. Yeah, I've heard <laughs> that's a thing. U-hauling. <laughs> that's funny. That but is yes, funny. Yes, you're, you're, you're true. That's true. Well, I mean, but Gino, Gino and I, I don't mean to interrupt you, Rasha, but Gino and I dated for a year and a half and we were married and we've been married for over 16 years. So I think it just depends. Yeah, Yvette and Gino and... Myself and Vanna are the exception to the role, I think. <laughs> but everyone else. Right. And so by all accounts, the two started a pretty normal family life. They bought a house there in Modesto. Uh, Lacey got a job as a substitute teacher at a nearby school. And Scott got a job as a fertilizer salesman. So then Lacey went and reconnected with a bunch of her high school classmates. She was hosting dinner parties at the new house. And it seemed like they were having a really nice, simple perfect little life going on. Uh, and then in June of 2002, Lacey announced that she was in fact pregnant. All right. Before we go any further, I do want to divulge some necessary behind the scenes information. So much of what I'm about to say was not common knowledge at the time and didn't actually come to light until after the crime. So this supposedly picture-perfect family, we all know picture-perfect doesn't really exist, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> it was not what it appeared to be. So right after Scott and Lacey got married in 1997, Scott actually started cheating on Lacey with another unidentified woman back in San Luis Obispo. And then it happened again with someone else when they moved back to Modesto. And that person that he started having the affair with will be a very important character in this story, a woman named Amber Fry. Yeah. So apparently uh, Scott met Amber Fry in November of 2002, while his wife was pretty well at this point into her third trimester of pregnancy. Hmm. And Amber was just a 23-year-old uh, single mother. She was a massage therapist. And Scott met her and then lied to her. He told her he was single. Of course he did. Amber had no knowledge of his marriage to Lacey until just a month later in December of 2002. Scott decides to change his story to Amber. And then he tells her that he actually used to have a wife, but that he was recently widowed uh, and that this would be his first Christmas without his dearest wife. That's just redonkulous, first of all. <laughs> right? I haven't heard that I'm word just, in I'm forever. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. Redonkulous. But it, it just, it matches this story like he he is a serial cheater right that's obvious you know and everything that was just said that you both said he is a serial cheater and a sociopath yeah and it's like you have to think about it too right like this is pre-social media since it's 20 years ago so it's not like Amber could look up and see if Scott was married, you know, to somebody like if she could look it up on social media or whatever. Um, but then for him to actually say that he was widowed and that it was his first 
going to be his first holiday without his wife, you know, when she ends up going missing and eventually murdered. Like, yeah, it's it's one of many fishy things he does that, you know, later point to his guilt in some way. And of course, this is like one of the fishy things. Obviously, this isn't necessarily an indicator of any specific guilt. But one of the things it does show us about Scott is that he is clearly a liar, like a pathological liar. And he will like do anything to like maintain his facade or to like keep the lie going, right? Like the fact that he changed it was really weird. Like he already had a lie. Maybe he got like found out or something and he's like, oh, I can't, you know, be truthful. I have to like make another lie. I can't go with that. So it always makes you wonder when Mm -hmm. you see him on Mm -hmm. TV later on, you know, as this case develops, it's like, Is this just another one of his lies that he's like too deep into and he doesn't want to back out of it at this point? I don't know. Just something to keep in mind as we keep going. Yeah. Okay. So there were a few more notable things that happened leading up to the eventual murder of Lacey Peterson. So Trevor, what were those? Well, in December of 2002, Scott suddenly developed an interest in saltwater fishing. So he spontaneously purchases a boat, a bunch of fishing gear, and goes and acquires a two-day fishing license. So meanwhile, the week before Christmas, Lacey spent a three-day weekend with her parents in Carmel, California, and that was actually the last time they would see Lacey. So now we're on December 23rd of 2002, and Scott tells Lacey that he's going to be playing golf the next day, and then later that evening, Lacey spoke with her mother, Sharon, on the phone at about 8.30 p.m., And then that was the last time that anybody would actually hear from or of Lacey Peterson. So we do need to take a quick break. But when we come back, we will talk about what happened to Lacey. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. So let's talk about the day that Lacey went missing. Christmas Eve of 2002. So at 9.30 a.m., Scott says that he's leaving for a fishing trip instead of going golfing like he had told Lacey that he was going to do the previous day. Um, Lacey tells him she's going to walk the dog 
go to the grocery store and bake some cookies. Then at 10 a.m., witnesses claim to have seen Lacey walking in La Loma Park, which is just a block and a half away from their house. Then at 10.30 a.m., one of Lacey's neighbors finds their dog, Mackenzie, wandering outside of the Peterson home wearing a muddy leash. The neighbor says she returned the dog to their backyard. But another neighbor claims to have seen the dog walking around the neighborhood at 1045. There is also the mailman who came in the same time frame. And he says that he put the mail, you know, in the mailbox. And normally Mackenzie would go crazy. But there was no sign of Mackenzie. No barking dog. It's kind of weird how there's all these differing accounts Mm -hmm. of, you know, where the dog is. It's it's always kind of strange to me, like looking into this case, because I'm not ever really sure who to believe and which witnesses are accurate. Right. I know. I know. But meanwhile, Scott arrives at the Berkeley Marina around 11 a.m. that day, and he obtains a launch ticket that verifies he was at the marina at that time. So he actually has an alibi mm-hmm. saying that he was supposedly there. And then at 2.15 p.m., uh, Scott calls Lacey and leaves a message saying, Hey, beautiful, it's 2.15, I'm leaving Berkeley. Hmm. So again, another timestamp, right? Yep. Um, But sometime um, later in that afternoon, Scott arrives back home to an empty house. So Lacey's 1996 Land Rover still in the driveway, um, but she is absolutely nowhere to be found. Scott takes a shower and washes his clothes, alleging that he got wet while fishing. Yep, and then at 5.15 p.m., Scott calls Lacey's mother, asking her if she knows where Lacey is. He reportedly said, Lacey's missing to her mother. Hmm. And then at 5.47 p.m., Lacey's stepfather is the one to call 911 to report her missing. That always seems so odd to me, too. Like, I, yeah. why did the dad call 911? Why didn't her husband call 911? That doesn't make sense. But mm-hmm. That's a good question. Right? So sometime in the same evening, the police arrive at the Peterson home And they find Lacey's purse in the closet, which is strange. And there's also a phone book open to an ad for a defense lawyer in the kitchen. And this is what's really odd is Scott appears to be oddly calm throughout this search. Like that stoic face that we all have seen, like he's not even like showing any type of emotion Mm -hmm. or sadness or I don't know. It's just, don't you guys think that's just really weird? I think that, honestly, I think that's why from the get-go, I think that's why everyone thought it might have been Scott because he didn't react the way a husband who was missing his nine-month pregnant wife should, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes, should, you know, like, He was so stoic. And I think his family has kind of, they've come out and they've like defended him and said, oh, that's just how he is. And I'm like, "Uh, I don't know. (laughs) like, Yeah. And that, you know, again, you know, everybody reacts to different situations differently. Mm -hmm. But your wife is eight months pregnant and you're just not showing one ounce of like anything. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like sad, mad, like nothing. It's just... Mm-hmm. He don't care. Two things to keep in mind, though, here. You know, the first, obviously, is that, you know, his demeanor isn't a direct indicator of any guilt, right? Like, that doesn't 
actually prove anything. True. This is true. Mm-hmm. This is true. Yep. This is true. And then the, the other thing to consider, too, is like, clearly he was not super invested in Lacey or their life together. We already know at this point that he's been cheating on her with multiple women over the last couple of years. Yep. Again, not to say that that means he did anything, but right. maybe his demeanor is just like, oh, like I haven't been in love with my wife for a long time. Maybe yeah. I didn't even really want this kid, you know? So maybe that's the mm-hmm. reason he's like less, uh, you know, upset by all this. I don't know. I, I'm just like throwing that out there. I no, think there I, I are, are a couple that. of explanations. Yeah, I mean, I understand that, but it's, you know, it's still, I think all of us are just like, well, show some empathy of some kind. But I will say like, kind of piggybacking on what Trevor just said. So like Yvette and I watched tons and tons of different documentaries, you know, leading up to this because, you know, we're, we've been working on Facing Evil for quite some time. And this is one of the first cases we were considering doing. And I remember feeling differently about Scott after watching, I can't, I think this is the one on Hulu, Yvette, please remind me, I can't remember. I, I believe so. Yes. Yes. But there were so many people that were like, yeah, Scott was guilty of something. He was guilty of cheating on his wife. And that's what he was trying to hide. So, you know, where the public was like, dude, why aren't you, you know, more, you know, worried about your wife? Like he was worried about his other stuff being found out, I think. But yeah, it's all it's all very interesting and heartbreaking and mind boggling. (laughs) That's the interesting thing about this case is like we've all flip flop back and forth because You know, we expect him to react a certain way. But Mm -hmm. then on the other hand, like Trevor just said, we can't, you know, say that he did it just because of the way that he's acting. Yeah, I know we'll we'll probably get into that more when we get to his trial and verdict and all that. Yeah. The two last things I wanted to point out before we move forward is just some of those things that you said they found when they were searching the house, Yvette. Yes. One of those was Lacey's purse. I guess the obvious conclusion we can draw there is that Lacey probably did not leave the house of her own free will. Right. You would take your purse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing was the phone book being open to a defense lawyer in the kitchen. What does that mean? Uh, there's a couple ways to interpret it. I think the most obvious way to interpret it is that uh, Scott felt like he needed a lawyer for something coming up mm-hmm. soon. Mm-hmm. What that was, I don't know. It could have been a divorce. Yep. It could have been he knows that Lacey's going to be gone soon and he needs to have his legal situation straightened out. We don't really know, but it's suspicious. Yeah, it is very suspicious. That's the thing. It's all suspicious. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, on Christmas Day, since Lacey went missing the day before on Christmas Eve, a large scale search begins in Modesto. So firefighters search the area along with helicopters, police on horseback and bikes, canine units, rafts. Basically, this amazing community of Modesto came together on Christmas to search for Lacey. And there were like something like 900 people away from their families looking for this pregnant, missing, beautiful human. You know, and there's also a press conference that morning, and this is where all, you know, the the media blitz starts, right? So Detective Al Brocini says that it would be highly out of character for Lacey to disappear without notice, especially leaving without her purse. Hello. Um, Her family offers a $25,000 reward for Lacey's safe return. So two days go by, and then on December 27th, detectives finally search Scott's fertilizer warehouse. 
and they bring with them a sniffing dogs, which leads investigators to a bathroom in the back of the storage space. And then it also takes them to Scott's aluminum boat, which is stored there. And this is the same boat that he used on his fishing trip the day that Lacey went missing. The dog was not able to pinpoint any specific place on the boat, and nothing was really found. But then on the 28th, investigators widened the search, and the reward fund grew to $500,000, half a million dollars. Wow, that's a lot. So then there was a candlelight vigil on New Year's Eve at East La Loma Park with over 1,000 people in attendance, that entire community you were just talking about. And then over the next month, investigators kept expanding the search, but there was still no lazy. Mm-hmm. And during all of this, I mean, Scott desperately was fighting his case. And he was saying that he absolutely had nothing to do with the disappearance of Lacey. But then Amber Fry comes forward. And you guys remember Amber Fry. Mm-hmm. She spoke <laughs> at the press conference. And this is where she talked about her romantic relationship with Scott. And she talks about how Scott lied. I mean, it obviously lied to her that he wasn't married when they first met back in November. I also think it's important to note that Fry, uh, at that press conference that we're describing, she revealed that she had been working with the police as early as December 30th of 2002, which is just a couple days after Lacey went missing. My understanding is that she saw the news coverage of Lacey and like Scott was a part of that. And she was like, oh my God, that's that guy I have been dating. Like, that's my boyfriend, right? Right? That's, yeah, it's like, what a horrible way to find out. I mean, can you imagine? I know, I know. I mean, you know, like now you couldn't get away with that because it would be all over, you know, social media, but it had to actually be on television or she might have had to like pick up the National Enquirer. Right. And I, I actually think that like it was one of her friends that called and said, hey, isn't this the guy that you're dating? Isn't that your boyfriend? Right. Um, And then Scott, meanwhile, you know, goes on to have a very odd, in my humble opinion, interview with Diane Sawyer to defend himself. And we have a short clip of that here. I think everybody sitting at home wants the answer to the same question. Did you murder your wife? No, no. I just thought. And... I had absolutely nothing to do with her disappearance and and use the word murder and yeah, I mean that is a a possibility. Um, it's not one we're ready to accept and it creeps in my mind late at night. In the second part of that interview, Scott reveals, which I think this to me is one of the I mean, there's many weird instances in this Diane Sawyer Scott Peterson interview, but he pointed out to Diane Sawyer that he and Lacey had gotten a $250,000 life insurance policy. Like, why is that important? Why did you talk about that? Right. <laughs> yeah, I think Scott does a lot of very not smart PR moves for himself throughout this time. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know, maybe his lawyer was like, hey, this information's going to come out anyways, you should get in front of it. Is mm, the only reason I can maybe. think that he would ever say that, because it's just like such a stupid thing to reveal if nobody asked about it. I don't know. Yep. That yeah. makes sense, Trevor. 100%. Totally. That makes sense. Okay. So on February 10th, this is a very intriguing day. It's the day that Lacey's family says is her due date. Lacey's sister and some of Lacey's friends meet for a vigil at East La Loma Park. But that's not all that this day is. It is also 
Amber Fry's birthday, as it turns out. So there's this vigil going on for his missing wife and unborn child. It's also the birthday of his, you know, girlfriend that he was cheating on his wife with. And Scott decides he would rather be with her. So instead of going to the vigil, he instead buys Amber Fry all these gifts and leaves them for her. He calls her. He doesn't make any sort of attempt to go to this vigil. And again, you know, gives all his attention to Amber Fry, which once again, a very stupid thing to do mm-hmm. right now, right? If, if you're considered like public enemy number one, you know, the main suspect in this, like, don't be doing shit like right? that. Right? Yeah. Like hashtag douche. <sighs> well, um, eventually Lacey is found. And um, I have to give a disclaimer and a warning now. Um, the details of the discovery of Lacey, um, they're incredibly graphic. Like I can't even say them. So skip ahead a few minutes if you are sensitive like me <laughs> to hearing crime scene details. So Trevor, if you could take us through it, please. Yeah. So let's talk about when they found Lacey. On April 15th, a couple walking their dog in Richmond's Point Isabel Regional Shoreline Park along the coast of the San Francisco Bay discovered the body of a baby in the water. And the umbilical cord was still attached to the baby's corpse. The torso is still intact, but the rest of the body is essentially decomposed. The cord was torn as opposed to, say, cut or severed as it would be during, say, a birth procedure. So this is not a natural occurrence. Uh, The next day, one mile south of where they found the baby, someone else discovers the headless torso of a recently pregnant woman. And the body is clothed in a maternity bra and beige pants. The limbs of the body are missing also. And according to investigators, the remains are, quote, in an advanced state of decay and are barely recognizable as a human body. Ugh, my stomach is in knots just hearing you say that. And I, I know all these details, but um, yeah, it's it's heartbreaking to hear. Um, one other interesting thing is that investigators did not immediately actually determine that it was Lacey. So both autopsies were inconclusive as since we've been doing this, we know, I mean, I feel like a lot of these bodies are showing up in water and a lot of those autopsies are always inconclusive when they're in water. Right. Um, but I guess, of course, these bodies were severely decomposed and they actually needed DNA to prove that it was actually Lacey. And of course, to no one's surprise, they did confirm that it was Lacey three days later. And it was also her infant son whom she had planned to name Connor. Yeah. Well, as you can imagine, Scott Peterson was quickly arrested that very day. Police found him near a golf course in La Jolla, which is just outside of San Diego. Investigators were a bit shocked to find that Scott had dyed his hair a completely different color. And when they searched his car, they discovered a bunch of strange things in it. Uh, Here's a little list. So they found about $15,000 in cash, a bunch of like survival camping gear. They also found 12 Viagra tablets, weirdly. Uh, They found several changes of clothes. They found four different cell phones. And then they found two driver's licenses. One was his and then one was his brother. And also, I just have to say, like, it's so odd to me that he had 
dress shirts. He had dress shoes. He also, because I saw this in uh, a report uh, on television with Amber Fry, he had a map of her house. Like, what were you trying to do? You were trying to escape or were you trying to go get her? Like, what exactly was his plan? That's the thing, right? Creepy. I remember reading that Scott's dad tried to explain it away by saying Scott was so freaked out by the media attention that he was literally living like a nomad out of his car. Okay, which I I can give you that. I understand mm-hmm. because the media was hounding you 24-7. So I get that you dyed your hair, that you maybe were going you know, south to see your family in San Diego. But all that other stuff, like, why? Why the Viagra, you know? Why Why all these other things, you know? Rasha, we can think about it from our perspective as well, right? Just with our family story and our family, you mm-hmm. know, being in the media and getting the attention. It's hard. Yeah, being related to an accused serial killer. Yeah. It can be yeah. a little daunting at times, but... I think we're a little different than than Scott in the sense that we've we've never held on to that because our mom never let us hold on to that ever. Like that didn't define no. who we were. No. But I can see how Scott would almost have a psychotic break, especially at that time. Like you you couldn't turn the TV on without seeing this story. And I think actually that's kind of how it was too when, you know, the Black Dahlia case was happening, you know, with George. Like he was on, you know, the cover of every Los Angeles newspaper and all of those, like, well, he wasn't, but the case was, you know, so. Yeah, and I guess looking at the Scott Peterson case and, you know, how he reacted to this, it kind of like reminded me a little bit of the Gabby Petito case. Mm-hmm. I know we've all heard a lot about that recently, but if you remember her boyfriend, Brian Laundrie, was the main suspect in, in her murder. And after he had become notorious, yeah, for probably having done this, he like just disappeared into the woods. He kind of did something similar to what Scott, I think, mm-hmm. was maybe trying to do, which is like get all this survival gear and go off the yeah. grid, essentially. Right. I don't know if that's true, but it's like, probably what it looked like, right? Yeah, it didn't look good. (laughs) And, you know, obviously at the end of the day, we don't actually know. We don't know what Scott's intentions were. Maybe only he knows, maybe only his family knows. But the police, the investigators, they don't really buy whatever his story is. And they take that perspective, the one I said. They thought that the contents of his car suggested he was actually planning on fleeing to Mexico, which of course is just a few miles away from San Diego, where he was. Right next door. And so Scott was then charged with one count of first-degree murder for Lacey and then another count of second-degree murder for Connor, the unborn son. So Scott then has a very crazy, wild trial that's very highly publicized. Mm -hmm. And we actually need to take another quick break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about what happened to him and if we actually think he did it. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. 
Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. All right, so let's talk about Scott's trial. So as we've talked about, this was highly publicized as like an understatement because this was publicity on crack, right? Yes. So on April 21st, 2003... Of course, Scott Peterson pleaded not guilty to all counts, and the prosecution said they believed that Scott intentionally and deliberately killed Lacey on Christmas Eve, Um, but they just don't have a theory on how. And I have to say, too, like, again, about this publicity, like, what I have ingrained in my brain, I have Nancy Grace's face, who, for those of you who don't know, which I'm sure you do because you all go to CrimeCon, you know who Nancy Grace is. <laughs> but, you know, she was, and I believe she still is an attorney, but she was on every station. She was on Larry King. She was, you know, on CNN, MSNBC, all the shows saying with her beautiful Southern drawl that Scott Peterson, you know, was absolutely guilty. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, and I'm so glad you brought that up, Rasha, because, you know, as we were doing the research for this case, like going back and looking at all of that stuff that she did, you know, Nancy Grace on CNN and all the other channels. I mean, it was like, it was horrible. Mm-hmm. She went for him. Like it, yeah. it felt like it was she went for coming him. from somewhere else. Like she really hated him. And that created that trial by media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the result of all of this like huge media attention is that, you know, it's so fiery, it's so intense that they determine that Scott can't actually get a fair trial in that town. How could he? Yeah. So what they end up doing is having to move the trial to San Mateo County. And then the official trial takes place a little bit later. Uh, it begins officially on June 1st, 2004 in Redwood City. It just seems like the whole trial came down to what we've been talking about. Scott just seems suspicious. But the actual fact is there's no real evidence against him. Mm -mm. I mean, other than all the other crazy ass stuff that he did, the things that they found in his car, that's still not concrete evidence. Until Amber Fry takes the stand. Yeah, obviously Amber's what did Scott in, but Amber revealed that while working with the police, she recorded nearly every single phone call with Scott, and there were many. In total, there were 241 calls and over 12 hours of audio that were actually submitted into evidence at the trial. And the picture that those, you know, audio tapes paint is of a man who is not very upset by the disappearance of his wife and unborn child. I think we've known that in a sort very sort of 
indirect way, mm. right? Like we've seen him on TV. Uh, we've heard the cops tell us about how he didn't seem very concerned during the right. search. Yeah. But now we have these phone calls of him talking to Amber and like we actually have like real evidence like coming from his voice. 12 hours of it. Yeah. Yeah, lots of it. And I, I think this is really the first time we drop a real picture of who Scott is when the cameras aren't rolling yeah, right now, when he thinks yeah. he's safe, when he thinks he's, um, you know, at home talking to, you know, his girlfriend or whatever. So, yeah, no more facade, no more, like, TV persona that he's been trying to put on. That's right. That's right, Trevor. We got the real deal. I mean, and that was, like, this was the final nail in the coffin. Because even if it didn't prove anything, like you just said, it just made himself look like he is freaking guilty. Yeah, and to be clear, like, these calls didn't have anything incriminating, necessarily. He didn't, he never said, like, I killed my wife, I killed Lacey. But again, like you were saying, it just like made him look bad, right? Right. Um, but anyway, um, the jury deliberated for over a week. And finally, on November 12th, the verdict came in. Scott was found guilty on both counts. First degree murder for Lacey Peterson and second degree murder for Connor Peterson. And on December 13th, the jury unanimously voted for the penalty of death. Like, yes, he was a douche. Does he deserve to die? Yeah, no, he doesn't deserve to die because there's no concrete evidence. There's no smoking gun, right? We all just think he's an asshole. Yeah, I feel weird about this one. You know, at some point you have to separate your own, like, emotion from, like, the reality of the situation. Mm. And I feel like most of this case was emotion, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest factors in that, like, emotional response was just the media, like we've mm -hmm. already been alluding to. So because all of this evidence was circumstantial, you know, I think probably the media did a lot of work to play up all of these things that made him seem more guilty than he actually was. And it, it created this fiery response like you were describing coming from um, Nancy Grace. Yeah. And that was like the same kind of energy that everybody had, everybody on that jury, everybody watching at home. And to me, that's dangerous. Like that's a dangerous way to go about running your justice system. I don't know. Trial by media is a, a term you used earlier, and I think it's a very real thing. Yeah, it's it is a thing. And I, I think Amber coming to the stand, I think, pushed the media and all of America in a certain direction. And he was convicted by the media. I'll, I'll say Scott's lawyer even talked about this whole trial by media thing during the trial. He kept bringing up the point that just because Scott was a bad person didn't mean that he was actually guilty of murdering his wife or that he would go so far to do that. Right. Cheating does not equate to murder was the point that the lawyer kept making in the trial. And I mean, I think to some degree, like, yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, it is a bit of a jump. It's a bit of a reach. It's just a weird thing. I think the, the media has a ton of power and we should never underestimate it. Well, as always, I mean, we like to bring the light, you know, to these dark cases. And so there was one positive development in Lacey Peterson's case. The deaths of Lacey and Connor Peterson led to the passage of the Unborn Victims of Violence Act, which is also known as the Lacey and Connor's Law. Trevor, let us know about this, please. Yeah. So the act says that under federal law, 
any person who causes death or injury to an unborn child while in the commission of a crime upon a pregnant woman will be charged with a separate offense. And what this means is that, like we saw with Scott Peterson, if someone harms or murders a pregnant woman, they will be charged twice, once for the mother and then once again for the baby. And I just want to do a little caveat that I I do wish that it said pregnant person rather than pregnant woman, but that is how the law is written. I did read one statistic um, that homicide is actually the leading cause of death for pregnant women. And I think it's absolutely great that we have a law like this in place to ensure justice, not only for the pregnant person, but for the unborn child who never had a chance at life. Absolutely. Also, on April 1st, 2004, Lacey's parents, they were in attendance at the White House when President George W. Bush signed the bill into law. So that was a huge day. Okay, so one last development in this story that we should probably mention. So as many people in California are aware, Governor Gavin Newsom has spent the last few years working to actually end the death penalty in California. So in 2019, Newsom successfully paused all death penalty sentences from being carried out via executive order. That means over 700 inmates on death row are for now safe from seeing their sentences carried out. Right. And the reason we're telling you this is that one of those people is, of course, Scott Peterson. His lawyers have actually been appealing his death sentence for like the last 10 years since 2012, I believe. And following Governor Newsom's executive order, Peterson's appeal actually made it through to the California Supreme Court. So on August 24th of 2020, just a couple of years ago, the court upheld his guilty conviction, but they overturned his death sentence. So the new ruling allows the prosecution to ask a new jury to reinstate Peterson's death sentence or allow him to be resentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So he's got options now that are not the death penalty. And that is where Scott Peterson's case stands as of today. That leads us to the last segment of the day, our Imua, and that's our final message of hope and healing. So today, we want to dedicate our Imua to the Ohana, or the family of Lacey, the Rochas. They were robbed of a beautiful, intelligent daughter, as well as a grandson, Connor. It was obvious that their lives were torn apart, but we hope that they find that justice was served. But most importantly, we hope that they find peace and some type of closure and that future mothers like Lacey will get the justice that they also deserve. And God willing, they never meet a similar fate. And we want to do our best to preserve Lacey's memory. We don't want to focus on how she died, but on how she lived, how she loved to garden, how she loved her home, her family, her friends. I think this is how we all can move onward and upward. Imua. Imua. Well, that's our show for today. We'd love to hear what you thought about today's discussion and if there's a case you'd like for us to cover. Find us on social media or email us at facingevilpod at tenderfoot.tv. Until next time, aloha. 
Facing Evil is a production of iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. The show is hosted by Rasha Pecorero and Yvette Gentile. Matt Frederick and Alex Williams are executive producers on behalf of iHeartRadio, with producers Trevor Young and Jesse Funk. Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay are executive producers on behalf of Tenderfoot TV, alongside producer Tracy Kaplan. Our researcher is Claudia D'Africo. Original music by Makeup and Vanity Set. Find us on social media or email us at facingevilpod at tenderfoot.tv. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio or Tenderfoot TV, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.